0: You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to John 6, uh, and we'll pick it up in verse 60. And we'll work our way now to the end of John chapter 6. And I love this passage as kind of the finale to what has been happening in uh, John uh, six. If you have uh, just new with us, you should know that we work our way through the scripture passage by passage, verse by verse, uh, sequentially, expositionally, uh, getting to the bottom of what God has to say in his word for us. And so if you've missed it, uh, uh, you should know that about us and the messages are there online. But uh, where we find ourselves today is really in the aftermath of those miraculous uh, signs that Jesus did of feeding the 5,000 people, the 5,000 men, including, or, and then on top that women and children in one day and then in a, overnight he walks across the water and then uh, and so we just kind of have those at the beginning with a, with just some snippets and descriptions of these things and then the bulk of John 6 is actually Jesus teaching in the synagogue that passage we looked at last week and that takes up the the, the bulk of of what this chapter is about but now we come into uh, uh, what we might think of like as an after church conversation A, A conversation that Jesus is now having with his disciples after time in the synagogue here. Maybe, you know, maybe you, have you ever had some interesting conversations after church on your way home with your kids? maybe around a, a lunch with some friends or family and, and just uh, chewing on and trying to reinforce what uh, you learned or the things that uh, uh, were helpful to you in the morning. And so maybe you've had those, maybe you're just uh, chewing through uh, some information or new theology that you learned uh, as uh, uh, from the text, or maybe there's some conviction that you're still wrestling with as uh, as the Spirit is at work in your heart and you're understanding, well, if this is true about God, then that means that my life needs to change in this way or look a a, a certain way or maybe it's just some conversation afterwards where you're just like super fired up because Christ is alive and you're ready to take on the world and uh, reach people for the gospel you ever had uh, conversations like that pray that you have one of our uh, rhythms in the Cushman household is when the when when church is over at some point sometimes it's on the drive home sometimes it's around the lunch uh, table or or some point in the day but we just simply ask this question what was the most meaningful moment in the service for you this morning what was the most meaningful moment? When you have kids, you know you get all kinds of answers. Sometimes it's about a, a you know point in the sermon or, or or in the verses or a song or the lyrics or things. But we just ask that simple question: What was the most meaningful moment uh, in the service this morning? And uh, what we're just really trying to do is just point each other uh, back to Jesus and to reinforce the work that the Spirit may be doing in our hearts and to make sure that our eyes are fixed on the glory of God. Uh, by uh, 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 even after the service. And so it's that's what happens in the Cushman home. Today is really, uh, that's, you know, we ask that question, but today we come to a scene like this as Jesus is with his disciples. And so let's read the text now, and we'll just make some observations about how the, the disciples are responding to Jesus' teaching, but also what questions Jesus asks of his disciples. Join me in your Bibles, John 6, and we'll pick it up in verse 60. Listen here as I read it. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now this is God's word for... God's people. An interesting after church conversation, is it not? Depending upon where you are uh, standing in this passage, it's one that is both incredibly sobering and also delightfully assuring. Depending upon where you are at, but here's what the gem in the middle is for us. It's this, write this down in your notes, that Jesus' words either drive out or draw in. This, I think, is what is at the center of this text and what Jesus is trying to drive home at the end uh, of this uh, uh, synagogue service here. He's trying to uh, have his disciples there, the original readers as well, and us today understand this truth that Jesus' words either drive out or draw in. Now, here's the thing, there really is no confusion in the story about what Jesus was teaching in the previous passage. If you remember what he was uh, getting at in the, in the previous passage about his body, about his blood and living forever and all these things here, there, there really is no confusion about what he said. It's a simple spiritual truth. We need Jesus to live forever. And we cannot be saved apart from Christ. That's the very simple truth. What the point that Jesus was trying to make there, and though even as we saw the simplicity of it last week, we discovered that there really is unending depths in what Jesus is getting after in the text. Is there not? There's like numerous Old Testament allusions through it all to show that this has always been God's plan, that these are uh, patterns that we've seen throughout God's people, throughout human history. And and furthermore, we, we discovered though simple, there are some towering theological truths that find their footing in Jesus' words here just by some simple statements here, particularly some towering theological truths in regards to our salvation and soteriology and being saved in what we know as the doctrines of grace, these towering theological ideas that have their footing or their grounding in Jesus' words here. And so it's simple, though unending in in our understanding of it, and it's simple, and as we come to see today, not everybody believes it. Not everybody believes it. For what have we seen here? Jesus' words either drive out or draw in. And here's the thing. Write this down. On one side, you have those who say, I'm out. Some say, I'm out. Deuces, see you later. Now note here, as we come to the the text here, how the scene begins. Really, you could go even back in verse 59 as kind of this bridge verse here that Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So there he is. And now afterwards here, you have his disciples, those followers of Jesus, listening in on his teaching. And now they come and they are saying amongst themselves, they're admitting, what Jesus just said is hard to hear. They just sat through the service through teaching and Jesus wasn't there to like, Pat them on the back and tell them how great they are and how all their, their good things are, are are going to save them. No, it's it's hard to hear so much so. Jesus knows, says he knows in himself, Jesus knows all things, even here in his humanity, he knows that they are also grumbling. You see that in verse 61? Where else have we seen in this chapter who else was grumbling? The Jewish people, right? In verse 41, remember last week, the Jews hear what Jesus is saying about how he's claiming to be the bread sent from heaven, how he himself is, the, uh, is this bread, and they, they, they grumble and complain and don't want to hear it as well. And so Jesus knows this, and look at his first question then in verse 61. Do you take offense at this? Offense at what? What? What are they grumbling about? What have they been out of shape about? His teaching. Why would they be offended by his, his, his teaching? They've seen his works. They've seen how his, his works validate his, his words or how his miracles that he's done authenticate his message that they indeed prove who he is. But yet they are still offended by the misunderstandings that Jesus had uncovered in the last week. Remember those things that Jesus was just really getting to the heart of? He's, 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 he's teaching these things and trying to expose where they are wrong in their thinking about who God is and about whose salvation is. And so let me just recap that because it's, it's important to our understanding here. They're, mis, they're, they're offended because Jesus has just told them that your works are empty. You can't save yourself. You, your works are, are, are empty, and, and, and furthermore, he, he comes to say that I am better than Moses. In other words, he, he's telling them your whole religious system is corrupt. Your whole religious system, what you, uh, are, are the games that you're playing are, are, are entirely wrong. But then he not, only, he not only just tells them their works are corrupt, their outward things, and their system is corrupt, then he cuts straight to the heart and he tells you grumble like an entitled child. Right? You, 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 your heart is more corrupt than you realize. But then he comes to the ending point here, and he says, you need me. Therefore, because these things are true, you need me to live forever. You must eat of my body and drink of my blood, that metaphor for you need my life and death if you are going to live forever and be raised up on the last day. And fortunately, they're too proud to admit that they need anyone else. The proof is in there their response. If what Jesus has said is true here there. They're scandalized by this. Offended that Jesus would claim these things and point these things out about them. And so he ups the ante with a second question in verse 62. Do you see it here? What if, then, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he has been before? Why would they be scandalized by this? Because he is again referring to himself as Daniel 7, son of man. The one who the ancient of days gives this authority, this universal authority over all the, of creation to rule and reign. Something that we've seen along the way in John, a title that, he, uh, that Jesus takes for himself. He said, what if you were to see me ascending to where he was before? Where was he before? In heaven. It's what he's claiming. The father has sent me in essence, to save you. He's saying, now, even if you were to see me ascending back to heaven where I came from, you would still be offended here. The reality is we know the uh, what is to come, right? Likely, depending upon where this is, a like year, year and a half later in Jesus' life, what will Jesus actually do? ascend up, uh, up to heaven and the Holy Spirit will not long after that uh, descend, which is exactly where Jesus is going here. What he's alluding to in them, the alluding to Christ's ascension and the Spirit's coming here in this and what he gets to in verse 63 and teaching that he's already had in John chapter 3 about the Spirit it is the Spirit who saves, right? The Spirit gives life, in both senses of the word, the physical giving of life. we think back to Genesis. It is the spirit He give, God gives breath, breathes life into humanity. And then John chapter 3, we learn that it is the Holy Spirit who gives life, eternal life, spiritual life to his children. It is only of God, the flesh, our body, our deeds, what we do can do some things. It's a great help to us. Verse 63, the flesh is what? No help at all. Any doubt about that? Any doubt about what Jesus is saying here? No. However, the help that we need to be saved are found in Jesus' words. The words, look at 63, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. There is Spirit, Holy Spirit generated, giving life to us. It's all the help that we need, meaning we truly can grasp what He is saying. It's Holy Spirit generated and gives us true, eternal life. Praise God for that, right? Praise God for the help of the Holy Spirit, for Jesus coming and speaking these words and teaching us how we might be saved. And yet, look at verse 64. There are some that won't believe. Not only that, not only believe, but will also betray Christ and his followers. And and notice the parenthetical there. You know, it's like people saying, I'm out, doesn't catch Jesus by surprise. We often are. We often are, but it doesn't catch Jesus by surprise. He knows from the beginning and came anyways. And while there's a lot to sort out in all of that, a lot to think on, a lot to ask God, we don't always understand the why. He does give us a glimpse into verse 65, When he repeats what he said back in verse 44, this is why I told you earlier, this is why you heard in church while Jesus was preaching or teaching in the synagogue, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So our starting place is one of enmity with God. Our starting place is one of depravity, enemies of God. And it is only by God's grace that anyone comes to faith and continues in the faith. In verse 66, after hearing all these things, it's the crescendo of the scene. It's the crescendo as many of his disciples... Turn back and no longer walk with him. They abandon Jesus. They hear all that he said. They take on all uh, in. They take in rather all of the, the the confrontation and the things that Jesus is calling out. They hear it all and they hear his offer of salvation, the call to come and believe. And yet they hear the difficulty in it, the pride-crushing words of Jesus. And they say, yeah, no, I'm out. And so let's have some clarity here on maybe, like, what is a disciple? You see that? And maybe that kind of catches you off guard a little bit. After this, many of his disciples turn back. Well, the disciple just very simply is a follower. In those days, in the religious system of the day, you had rabbis, which is incidentally what they call them uh, earlier on in in verse 25. Rabbi and followers, or rabbi and disciples here. And so a rabbi was just simply a disciple, but it all doesn't necessarily mean a believer so who are these? They're just likely followers that they'd picked up along the way that had begun following along with Jesus and the 12, maybe the ones that were there being fed at the 5,000, those that uh, were there in Capernaum and had seen other uh, uh, miracles that Jesus had done or heard his words, and they were following along for whatever reason they maybe had. And now they're confronted with the difficulty of Jesus' words here. They claim to be disciples and now walk I think we know this to be true. and Maybe we've experienced it in our own situations where many claim to be disciples, but then walk away. Many can claim to be disciples, but few are actually called or chosen of God and continue then to be His disciples. And the proof is in the, con- the continuation. The proof is in the continuing to walk, particularly when it is hard. And, and let's just be like, clear. Let's make a connection here. Like Jesus himself submitted himself to the same line of reasoning back in chapter 5. He, many can claim to be a god Many can claim to be a holy one, but, but, but it's proven out, it's substantiated by the works, by the continuing on in it, by the witness of others, by the words of God, the teaching of God coming out. And so we were led to believe in chapter 5, to have shown the evidence that here is a, here, this man surely is the Son of God. And so too are we in our walk with the Lord, continuing on in the faith. It's a popular idea, you know, unless we think that this is something, you know, new in our day. We see it here in the scripture. We see it through the Old Testament of people of God walking away from the things of God when life gets hard. But there's a popular notion in our day. Maybe you've heard this of those that are deconstructing their faith. Familiar with this? Seen it and makes headlines every once in a while. A celebrity, you know, artist, celebrity Christian artists or authors or things uh, have now abandoned their faith. Have walked away, no longer claim to be following Christ. Or maybe maybe it's not just a headline for you. Maybe it's an actual name and person for you. Somebody that you know, somebody that you love, that you thought there was no way they would ever walk away from the faith is now deconstructing. It's tragic, but it is not new. new concept, maybe a new word, but it is not a new reality where many will abandon Christ for various reasons leaving behind the social construct within the church or their family that uh, had Christian influences, but now are walking away from that or walking away from people that they once uh, respected who hurt them and now uh, have uh, abandoned the faith. And there are multiple reasons too much for the scope here. In some cases, maybe they're good good to detach from religious systems or the faith of others to make it a genuine, real faith. But the end is what is important, that even through this, we are, uh, The end is still a vibrant, healthy walk, growing with Christ and not abandoning him nor his people. But it is a tragic reality. And those say that I'm out when people leave, when hard things are said by Christ or by Christ's followers, when the standards of holiness are laid out and people leave or those who are just looking for entertainment or ease or a free meal or whatever it is, walk away, or they just want to show up and be unknown and don't want to grow or learn or be invested in by others and investing in others, just wanting to hang out. It's nothing really new. It's sad and tragic when it happens, is it not? It's not something that puffs up a believer. It's not something that puffs up or makes us proud as we continue on. It's really a sad Tragic reality when the when people don't continue, and I walk away from faith. John would he would he 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 would pick this back up in his letter in First John chapter two, and just listen. I'll read it for you. you and turn there if you want. First John chapter two. John now writing this letter he says this: They went out from us. John two nineteen. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. And so it's just a reality as we walk through this life. It is by God's grace that we continue on. Even what He gets said in verse twenty. But you, speaking to believers, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have, or you all have knowledge. And echoes back even to our, our passage here. You've been anointed, likely in view here. You've been regenerate. You've been brought to Christ and now you have the knowledge of how to be saved. You have the knowledge of how to walk with with Christ. But we must continue on in believing. Come back to, to John and into our passage today, but actually just flip over to chapter 8, because Jesus will say this as well to the Jews. So John 8 31 So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, like that, there's the difference maker, if you abide in My Word, and you are, if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. Continuing to believe, continuing to abide, or be connected in Christ's words, living by, then then that's what truly is discipleship. You'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. Free from what? Free from sin. Free from your enslavement to sin. And yet, we know the reality that there are those who don't believe, who bail on the Lord, or even like Judas, betray him and his followers. It's a sad reality. Dear Redemption, in, in whom is our faith? It's Christ. And for whom did Christ die? His people, church. And why did he have to die? his people, because we were sinners, because of all the things that he called out. And what did he save us into? A life of following him within the community of his people, his church, who are still in progress, who are still trying to continue on, who are still trying to make it to the end by the grace of God, so that we experience what Jesus is bringing out in the previous chapter, to be raised up in the end, to live in eternal life. And yet, as we've seen, Jesus' words either draw uh, or they uh, drive people out to where they say, "I'm out," or, gracefully, so. On the bright side, there are still some who say, "I'm in." Look at this. Write this down. It's the second point there. It's right in the uh, center of our text. In many ways, there are still some, praise God, who say, "I'm in." Come back to the text in verse 67 here. After the great departure in 66, Jesus now turns to the twelve. The first time they're referred to as the twelve. As this group that's here, and he asks a, a question of them now. Do you want to go away as well? The sense of it seems to imply that they, that they won't. Like, you won't go away too, will you? So, and, and so don't read this like Jesus, like, despairing or, you know, begging them to stay. And, you know, because like, nobody wants to play with me. I, I to, I, I'm, I'm all left alone here. No, no, no. He's just putting it to them to make a choice. He's putting it to them, saying here, like, are you sticking with me or not? Are you sticking with me when everybody else leaves? Are you going to stay here it, 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 like, just make the, the, the connection here. Like, yes, nobody comes to Christ unless they're drawn by God. But let's not cross into like some unbiblical ground here that we're into like some robotic fatalistic uh, land where, where we don't have like the personal responsibility to say, I'm in. I'm going to stick with you. It's by grace we are saved and I'm going to continue in that grace. And that's really what, Jesus, or what, what Peter gets to here. Peter's speaking uh, for the, the 12 here. as he, 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 He's the one that blurts this out, it seems to be. Peter answered him. And look, what it, look at his response here. Dissect it with me just for a moment here because you just see how profound his statement is. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He first confesses the exclusivity and superiority of Jesus and his words. No one else comes close to Jesus. Nobody else's words have the power to create the world, to create life, to create faith in you and me. He confesses the exclusivity of it. Nobody is like him in the superiority. No one even comes close. You, who, to where else could we go to find one like you? He confesses this, but he also, here a second, commits. He commits to following Jesus as Lord, as Master. Even just seen, how does he address him, Lord or Master, not as Rabbi, like as a teacher, but as his Master. To whom shall we go? It's a faith that is committed to movement to following Jesus in his ways and leaving behind our old way of life. He confesses this. He commits to doing it. Why? Because he is convinced that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Verse 69, and we have believed that key ingredient, and I've come to know not just factual information, but a conviction. I have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. First time we see this title in, uh, in, in John. Not been used yet. We've had lots of titles, lots of reference to who Jesus is. Uh, many of them rooted in the Old Testament and, uh, that just capture who Christ is as Lord and Son of God and Son of Man and, and, and all these things. And now we have this Holy One of God. They have come to believe that this is the one, the set-apart one, the anointed one, the Messiah the one who is sent to rescue us from our sin. And church, this is what faith is all about. This is as we come to Christ, we say, I'm in. If, even if we can't say it as eloquently as uh, Peter was obviously inspired to say it in, in this text here, in essence, that is when we genuinely come to Christ. That's what we are, are saying. We're confessing him uh, in this way. We're committed to following him because we've been convinced that he is who he says he is. And to which Jesus is like, Amen. That's why, that's why I chose you to follow me, right? Like I come, like, did I not choose you? The the twelve, like that's why I I've chosen you. Now, likely not referring to their salvation and choosing here, but to their disciple. I've chosen you to be amongst my twelve, to be my followers here. church, maybe somewhere you've heard Jesus teaching, you've read about the signs he has performed through the text. You've heard all these things, and so let me ask you some questions and how you might answer these. Do you confess Christ as your Lord and Master and therefore reject all other religions? Likewise, are you convinced that Jesus is your Savior That without his life and death, you would still be lost and dead in your sin. Are you committed then to walking in his ways and continuing in them, even when life is hard, even when things don't make sense, even when other people hurt you or even betray you? If your answer is yes to all three of those, then let's like Psalm 74, let all who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. If you can say yes to all three of those, let your voice be heard and say, God is great. God is great. Yes, he is great. And this isn't like, like, yes, we believe this God. You are great because you are the one who has saved me. You are the one who has rescued me out of my sin. And so there, where else could we go but to follow you? If you Maybe you're, you, this is the first time where you've, you've seen this and you've believed this and God is calling you to this. And if your answer is yes for the very first time, I want you to tell the person nearest to you. And then together come. Let's talk about it after service. I will walk with you as you walk with Christ in this community of faith. This is glorious. It's spirit rod. It's grace enabled all of God And it's so glorious. And yet, come back to the text here in verse 70. Because it turns dark again. It's kind of like the beginning of the text, and now the ending, it's just it's just dark here. He says, And one of you, yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And church, this is a spoiler alert. I know that most of us know the end of the story here. Maybe you're, maybe you're familiar with it, and you know, you don't, like, you're unfamiliar with the Bible and all these things. I'd love to just talk to you and talk, but I'm, I'm willing to bet that most all of us know here uh, uh, who Judas Iscariot is and what he has done. But imagine being an original reader of this, or somebody today who's never even heard anything of Christianity reading all this. You'd be asking, like, whoa, 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 where, where did this guy come from? What do you, he's he's not been mentioned yet in all of John. Passage by passage that we've gone through, we've seen many of the disciples, but we've never had Judas mentioned here. And now if this was a movie script and a movie writer, uh, they they would not drop the spoiler alert this early in the show. Rather, they would be introducing him like now, as the way scripts are written. They'd be introducing him in a way that would endear him to us. We some flashbacks to his childhood, so we'd be sensitive to where he's come from and the plight of his, of his life up to this point, so we would be endeared to him. But not so when the Holy Spirit's writing the script. No, not so here. It, it make, it's like He's saying to us, make no mistake. Let me introduce you to this guy, and every time you find about what part he is going to play. This is the betrayer. As we encounter him in the coming chapters, he'll be reminded again and again of what he's going to do. I'm, I'm still trying to make sense of all of this. So the point really isn't on who, what Judas is going to do. The point is in what Jesus did, knowing all of this from the beginning. And, and, and let's just be straight. This doesn't make sense to us, does it? Would you like just just think of a couple scenarios like here? Would you uh, what would you do if you were in the place you were an employer at a business and you were trying to hire somebody and you knew that this guy was going to betray you that he was going to that he was going to blow up your your uh, you know well, maybe that's the wrong word but he was going to bankrupt your your business and and this would be the the end of your career. Would you hire that guy? Never. Sure. Like the NFL draft was was last weekend, you know? Do you think that the draft experts are going to pick a, a, a guy that they would that they knew without a doubt that he was going to uh, he was going to corroborate the murder of their coach and and uh, and, and and scatter the whole team? No, they never they never pick a guy like that. And yet Jesus isn't like us, is he? He wasn't here. He didn't come to protect himself, but to rescue us. And in, in his sovereign plan, it worked through this betrayal. Through rejection, through betrayal. This one being used by the devil, Judas Iscariot. And all around this passage is Darkness. Darkness of those who bail on Christ and the darkness of the one who would betray Him into death. And yet, shining in the middle of it, what do we find, church? The beauty of God's grace to draw some to Himself who will continue with Him to the end. All by God's grace, he chooses us, draws us in, grants us salvation. We confess him. We commit to following him. We don't complain about it. We just, convince, we just walk by his grace that was sufficient to save us and sufficient to keep us to the end. Now, how's this for an after-church conversation, right? Driving down the road, a van with all, well, there's lots of them here, so driving down the road in a bus, hold them all, have to pull over because some want to get off. But there are some who keep going. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to conversations like this. Maybe you can relate to people like this. Maybe your conversation today will be similar as you chew on Jesus' words and the implications here that it all lead us to deeper prayer, to deeper uh, conviction in the things of God my prayer is that we would have a similar, singular conviction that Peter expressed. Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Join me as we pray now and then sing of the confidence that we have in the Holy One of God. God in heaven. Here we are under your word. Here we are wrestling with the implications of this. And so we have several requests of you, Lord. Would you do this affirming, convincing work in our hearts? as we wrestle with our own salvation, as we wrestle with your words ourselves, God, that as we are your children, would you give us that blessed assurance that we talked about? Oh, we would come to know who you are and what you did, Jesus. And therefore, that confidence that you have given us, that you will not leave us or forsake us. You won't betray us. You won't bail on us, Jesus. And second, then, God, would you give us the grace that we need to continue on when we are hurt, when it is hard, when we are confused. We need more of your grace, God, to make it with joy to that great day. Lord, for those you may be drawing to yourself. God give them eyes to see and ears to hear that they might confess that you are the only one able to save them God meet us as we wrestle with these things as well as our heart grieves for those that maybe have like the disciples walked away and no longer are following him let us not lose heart let us not lose hope God let us remain winsome and gracious in our speech hopeful in our prayer that you would God turn them genuinely to yourself Lord thank you that we have this hope that we can ask you these things because you are alive because you defeated death you did the impossible in defeating death therefore you can also do the impossible of turning hard hearts to yourself draw us in Pray in Christ's name. Amen.